1: Most people didn't start their best ball journey in best ball. We came from different games, poker, DFS, regular season long fantasy. We came from something else, but now we're fascinated by this new game, this emerging game of best ball on underdog and DraftKings and drafters and all these different sites and all these different games. And today I'm really pumped to talk to a fellow longtime DFS grinder. Who came up in dfs in this space and is now kind of transitioning or certainly is fascinated by this game of best ball neil orfield uh from stochastic and theory of dfs and of course crusher in the dfs gpp streets we're going to talk about you know what we've learned about best ball why we're interested in best ball and maybe some lessons that we have been able to take from our history in DFS and in our DFS play over the years and all the things that you can use in your best ball drafts, maybe from those DFS lessons. That's what we're going to talk about today. Eric Neil here on Spike Week. Let's do it. All right, guys, you're here talking in a, f- a fun subject, I think I've wanted, you know, I've selfishly wanted to talk about this with somebody for a long time. And I don't want to, I don't mean this to sound negative to anyone that I've done tons of content with over the years. And you and I have, have talked a little bit, you know, on some shows and stuff that you've done in, in the past. Um, but we have a funny uh intersection of kind of our our careers obviously both really got started in the the dfs space but um you and i both were uh guest hosts on the theory of dfs with our good friend jordan cooper and so there's a, a little bit of a like i said a natural intersection of 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 our careers but like hey first thank you for joining me how are you doing and um how are you feeling we're talking in february yeah. about best ball which feels kind of crazy but also I you know you're getting deep into it how are you feeling generally just about the whole space right now
0: yeah i'm i'm struggling a little bit with how to do these big board drafts because it was last year like my most successful contest i think when i knew Literally nothing about the rookies. Like, I just drafted off of ADP. So, part of me is like, should I not be listening to all of the content that I'm listening to? And of course, I, it's all great. I, I just told you before the show, I'm three hours into your four hour long uh, conversation with Pat Grain. I consumed a lot of uh, crisp bags and some rookie breakdown. So I, I think it is all very useful and it will be helpful for me. But like last year I did the big board, not knowing anything about the rookies and just like kind of taking them when ADP dictated, I should take them. And I had a lot of success doing that. So I'm like, maybe, maybe I shouldn't try to go too far into the weeds. But ultimately I, I obviously, I do think it is helpful, which is why I am uh, diving into it. Yeah. It's interesting coming from the perspective of somebody who doesn't watch any college football. Like I literally <laughs> Don't watch it. I didn't watch a single game this year. Um, it is a little bit different. Um, and it's also different from like, I am a bye week bro. So like we we don't know schedules yet. We don't know when bye weeks are going to be. We can't even, if you want to do like correlation for week 17, you can't do that at this point. We just don't know. There is so much we don't know in these tournaments So maybe I mean maybe this is maybe that's my lesson is I should be less of a a bye week bro because I had my most (laughs) success in the contest where you don't really factor in all of that stuff. Um, But I'm I'm really enjoying it. It's cool that they put it out. I think before the Super Bowl even happened, the big board started this year. Kind of nuts. We are uh, true true sickos doing doing best ball right now. But I'm I'm enjoying. How how are you enjoying it?
1: I I am I am enjoying it as well. I told myself it's funny you bring that up. Um, I didn't have my most success in the big board last year, but I'm trying to rectify that because I don't think I took it serious enough. And I've done, I do a lot of, you know, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? Retrospectives or whatever, you know, after the season is over, I'm like processing, you know, the decisions that I made and, and not even just like, Oh, drafting this player or not drafting this player, but being like, you know, what contests did I really dive into? What sites did I really dive into? And like, where maybe are my strengths where maybe are my weaknesses. And again, not just like the necessarily, the the results but like again we're going to talk a lot about about dfs today i I learned a lot from my dfs in terms of assessing my own play during my dfs career being like sometimes i would win money and i look back and i'm like oh boy i don't think i played that i don't think i played that slate very well you know and then sometimes i would lose money and i'm like I don't know. I'd I'd make that team again. You know, I, I, I right. I'd do that again. I think I did a really good job. And especially as you know, I I wasn't you know one hundred and fifty an MME guy or one hundred and fifty max guy or anything. I'm building generally most of the time for most sports, most slates one team on a, on a given slate. Sometimes three, five, ten, depending upon you know just little subtle nuances. They have special contests all the time, right? Maybe you got tickets or whatever. But I think that has helped me a ton. Like right now, which is why I think it's fun to have this convo right now in like, again, assessing my own play and specific to the big board. I was like, you know, I think, I think my around the edges with things like rookies, little basic roster construction, things that maybe our opponents aren't doing, um, late round picks and like portfolio management and like all that kind of stuff. Like, just like, what are the right cohorts of players to even target? You mentioned the thing that uh, the the episode that Corrine and I just recorded where that's like, what we talked a lot about was like, we may not have all the answers with all the rookies, but we're very confident that there are answers in these rookies somewhere. And right. just like knowing that uh, and, and kind of defining that as a, a substantial edge, I'm like, then why the heck did I not take the big board very seriously last year? (laughs) It was like, this is maybe the, you know, and that's the thing I learned from DFS, like trials and tribulations and practice and losing a lot, figuring out like, what contest should I play? (laughs) You know, like it took me years to figure out even just the basic thing of like, should I be playing the Millie Maker? Should I be playing? It was, I started on FanDuel. Should I be playing the Sunday Million or should I be playing these single entry smaller field stuff? And I didn't have any success in DFS at all until I figured that out. And like, you know, it, you can make teams all you want. If you're not making teams that are structured for the tournaments that you're making, like all that kind of stuff is so important. And so it's funny you brought up the big board because that was a realization that I had where I was like, A, I need to take this more seriously. But B, I think I it, it, even if it I have to save some money, over the summer, right? If it's a bankroll thing and I want to pull some money over the summer, I want to dedicate it to this big board because I do think it's a tournament that I have a, a pretty substantial edge at if I focus and and take it seriously.
0: yeah. so so when you brought up the idea of doing this, like what can you relate from DFS that transfers over to best ball? my My original thought was like the buckets that I think of for building lineups in DFS. so I did I do my did a showdown article uh, most weeks of this past year. and the the buckets that I think about when I'm building particular lineups, are uh projection correlation and differentiation so i and then like within that like leverage maybe you can you know yep. maybe it's a own bucket maybe you put it into differentiation but like there's buckets within those lineups but then but then as i thought about it more i was like well there's also like contest selection as you just brought up is like mm-hmm. another important thing that you can bring over and it's not really specific to making your lineups but it is like you can you can learn lessons from Your contest selection from portfolio management, as you said, is another thing that, like, I think that these are important things to think about, especially if you're going to be playing a lot of them. Obviously, if you're playing one lineup, you're not, you don't really have to think about your portfolio if you're if you're building, you know, one or two lineups. Um, But once you get to if you're maxing out contests, I think that is kind of something that um, you need to be thinking about. You need to be thinking about the, the risk that you're taking if you are taking, you know, the approach of drafting all vikings or you know whatever you want to do yeah. like just like going all in on one team like there there are risks associated with that uh so i think that those are good points to, to bring up is just the as you say contest selection and that's something that i'm i'm sort of um rethinking right now in dfs after i have mm-hmm. not had as much success recently in dfs i think it has gotten a lot harder so i'm kind of thinking well maybe i need to rethink about and, and i you know I'm rethinking about a lot of things uh, with DFS, but I think that's one thing that I, I keep thinking like, maybe I need to think about the uh, contest that I am playing in because I typically am just playing the lottos where it's like, yeah, you can't expect to win all that often. And I'm, I'm no longer a 150 max. That was kind of a a funny thing. The the transition from you to me as the regular guest on theory of DFS, Jordan went from guy who makes one lineup every week to the guy who's 150 max. And at the time, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that guy anymore. I'm no longer. 150 maxing so i i'm I'm kind of having those thoughts in dfs of course right now for best ball uh totally irrelevant because all we have are the big board and the little board i've already maxed out the little board so we really only have have one contest for nfl best ball at least which is all i'm doing right now um but yeah these are definitely uh interesting things to think about
1: so two things it's really funny you mentioned like the article that you wrote um it's been uh, several years now but when i was doing like like really primarily focused on creating DFS content as my job. Uh, I did, I I think we called it four factors or some, you know, we always got to have the cheesy ass names in the the content space, right? When it's a, it's an article, a a recurring article, you got to put some stupid, like, uh, you know, I work with uh, John Breslin squirrel patrol who just, my God, just crushes. I learned a lot from him. Just like I learned a lot from Jordan and you and stuff. But talking to him, I forget what they call it because his name is Squirrel. It's like hitting the nuts or whatever. You know, we got to have the stupid, cheesy, cheesy names. I'm like, can we just call it, you know, like something a little more basic? But four factors, I believe it was. And we did exactly what you did. I'm trying to remember what the, what even the four, but yeah, projection yeah like ownership basically the same thing that you did and like uh i, I put like optionality in there so like that was mostly relevant for okay. like nba right there's some games tip off at i'm in Central oh time yeah zone. sure That's some games one. tip off at 6 p.m and some games tip off at 9 30 p.m it's like nobody ever thinks about that as a part of and i would yeah. i would almost like people will correlation boost right of course as you should and nba again a little bit different but you know, NFL, Zay, if I, if I Lamar is in my lineup, Zay Flowers, right, gets a little boost, blah, blah, blah. I would boost later game, depending upon how my lineups, you know, depending upon how ownership yeah, was on do. that slate, I would boost like the nine, you know, the late game guys, especially right. You got the clippers playing in a late game or whatever. I'm boosting and Kawhi's questionable. It's like I'm boosting all those guys if is out, but I'm also boosting Kawhi on teams that aren't, you know, that don't have Terrence Man or whatever yeah. on. You know, you're doing that little stuff uh, from an optionality perspective, and those little things. Um, I know we're moving away already from the the uh, contest selection are not directly applicable to to best ball, like because it's it is a different game, of course. But I've always found, at, like, constantly. I am thinking about something from a best ball and I'm like, oh, yeah, I experienced something during, you know, 10 years of DFS. Like I'll remember like a slate or a decision or something that I made where I'm like, I did it that way in DFS. Right. And here's why I did it. And now I'm experiencing something in best ball that's like that like light bulb moment. And I feel like there are a lot more of those situations than people would ever give credit for that you can learn from in DFS. Have you kind of felt, you know, like somewhat similar as you're especially making like an even heavier transition into best ball?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And part of it is, I mean, the the contest that we're playing. So like I I never played the NFL tens or whatever, like the the cash game type contest. So we are we're essentially playing large field tournaments is basically exclusively what I do for best ball, which is also exclusively what I've always done for DFS. So I think it kind of makes sense that it's a lot is going to transfer over just in terms of game theory from DFS to best ball. Like, yeah, I definitely, I, I'm always applying like what I have learned from DFS to best ball. I think just thinking about the uh, you know, th- basically th- th- those levers as, as Jordan calls them. And yeah, I brought up my, my article, but like, I'm sure I got it from other people. Like I didn't come up with those being the, the none levers. Of have, as Jordan. Yeah, none yeah. of
1: us have invented the wheel. That yeah. is for sure. But, uh, it works. It, the thing works. So,
0: yeah, I mean, th- these are, these are honestly the things that you need to be thinking about. And I think that for, for you, for me, I think they come pretty naturally. I don't know that that, some people need to be taught that these are the things to think about are like, like ownership, like some people just really struggle with the concept of why do I care how owned a player is, which, uh, and and that's something that, you know, you have to kind of think about a little bit differently in best ball than DFS because DFS is just like straight up. How owned is that player going to be? Whereas best ball, it's like, what, I don't know how many, like 160 players or so are going to be owned in, uh, drafted in like 99 plus percent of draft so it's like so you got to think a little bit differently about ownership and and also like for the first 14 weeks of the season it's irrelevant like you are only competing against those other 11 teams that you drafted with so like ownership doesn't matter for the first 14 it's all about what are these players ownerships in the playoffs which is kind of hard to to plan for I know that we try like we try to and that's that's as you say the rookies that was really I loved the conversation that you had with Pat in your uh, discussion about rookies just like Yeah, a lot of these rookies like they don't come on until later in the season and that's kind of a good thing because then they're lower (laughs) owned in the playoffs when ownership is actually matters because that's when uh that's when you finally have distinct ownerships that uh make a difference um so yeah I, i was thinking about as we were talking about uh as i was thinking about how can i apply ownership because it doesn't matter for the first 14 weeks of the season and then it does matter uh, but it's hard to account for it in the playoffs. So you can try to some extent, but it is difficult to to like find those players who are going to boom late. Like I guess I guess Jameson Williams was one of those guys lately. But then yeah. at the same time, it's like, well, do you want guys or who are going to hurt your? Do you want to take a lot of guys who are going to make it harder for you to advance? Uh, so I was kind of thinking of it in terms of, um, and here's another word uh, that I got from Blender. Uh, combina combinatronics i had i had the word combinatorial yeah. ownership combinatorial <laughs> exactly. ownership is where you can factor it in in best ball like finding different combos that are not going to be taken together all that often uh, in ways that aren't also going to break up your correlations obviously still you're yeah. trying to correlate but also you can find different combinations by reaching on a player here or 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 taking values as they come to you like i think that those are ways that i can kind of apply ownership in best ball that you can't really Uh, because you can't really just think about ownership in the standard DFS way, where it's just like, yeah, this player is not going to be drafted by 98% of people. He's only going to be 2% owned. So I like that player. You can't really do that as much in best ball, except for, for later round players.
1: I I totally, totally agree. I I would, I would go so far as to say just being thoughtful about ownership in best ball is probably the greatest edge that exists. And probably also why I'm so passionate about Best Bond. Why, why, why this whole thing, why we're talking on this this show at all. Um, and I think you probably come from come from a similar place, in that it's it's hard. It it it's it's actually very, very difficult to even like elaborate on why why does this matter, type of a thing. Like, like you said, so you explain to the person that for the first 14 weeks of the season, the useless doesn't matter. Absolutely throw it out the window. Right. And they're like, okay, so for 14 weeks out of 17, this thing doesn't matter, but you have to also then break it down to be like, I know it sounds like that's a big portion of the season, but that's actually only part one of four, right? This is a four step tournament. And that's all weeks. One through 14 together is only one step one. It's also the most meaningless step. And what I mean by that is it, of course you need to make the playoffs, but you don't really gain anything like a, just by sheer randomness. Like you could just put like positional limits on and, you know, uh, not even use rankings, honestly, just draft off of ADP. And you're probably going to advance in net neutral amount of teams, right? Um, You know, your average, your average advance rate, you're going to get your, your advance rate just by doing that, not putting any thought into who you're, who you're drafting. And so That part then is like the absolute, totally meaningless, generally speaking. So then you get to the playoffs and you have, that's when, like you said, that ownership stuff really, really matters, but we can't predict the ownership ahead of time of who's going to be right. Once I get to week 15 and I get to those playoffs, like is, you know, is Devin Han going to be the highest owned player, or brahim Mostert, or Kyron Williams, or Puka Nakua, or Cooper Cup, or Mark Andrews, or Isaiah Likely, or right? You go down this list, and you're like, I don't know. Like no yeah. one knows. No one can. Pre- There's absolutely no. And that's also what this. What's great about this game is like we can't predict the. The more the things that we can't predict, the more edge it is for the people playing the game. But once you get there, if I can guarantee myself like some form of ownership edge across my whole portfolio. I can't guarantee it on any individual team that I have like some real big leverage. um, But I can guarantee that I have some kind of leverage in every draft, which is ultimately what we're doing in a DFS lineup. Right. It's like, I'm trying to put together this collection of players that any one individual players ownership doesn't matter, but the collection of them together, right. How they pair together from a correlation perspective and how their ownerships pair together. That's, the whole fucking game that, that that is that is that is the whole dfs game but people don't care about it for best ball like people people are just like oh my that sounds crazy you know what do you mean he's drafted 12 percent of the time with this other guy and he's drafted four percent like do i really care and i'm like yes yes yeah, yes that's all i that's like almost all i care about and so just thinking about that is like a big part of of what i do and what we do at spike week in terms of all that ownership type stuff, because I think it's a lever. It's not only a lever that we know matters a lot, but it's a lever that no one is really pulling, or the vast majority of our opponents are not pulling. And it's like the early days of DFS, where like everybody was just like, I'm just going to go put the team in that I think is going to score the most points and hope to win this tournament. And after a decade, like you said, the games have gotten hard. Now they're very, very, I'm not winning as much either. And and just like you, you mentioned, because the games are really hard, but I think we're more at the early stages in best ball of that. And we'll look back and you and i you know, God willing, we won't be having that conversation in 10 years on another show like this, but maybe, maybe we will. And we'll be looking like, okay, everybody's figured out all of this, all of this like ownership type stuff, but we're just not there yet. So that makes it really exciting.
0: Yeah. We are, we are really early stages. I'm trying to remember what the winning, I, I should, I meant to look at it before we started the, the winning lineup for the regular season of Best Ball Mania mm-hmm. and also the playoff. Cause I'm, I'm thinking like the combo of just one example. I mean, the, the best example I can think of is uh tank Dell Puka Nakua and Kyron Williams. All three were 18th round ADP, I believe. So I would imagine mm-hmm. that trio was extremely low owned. And if you had it in the regular season, like it would just give you such an enormous leg up just by thinking like that's speaking of combinatorial ownership. It's just like, yeah, a lot of people drafted each of those players individually. Not many people reach to draft one of them in the 16th round, another in the 17th, another in the 18th. And really like once you get beyond a certain point in the draft, players look pretty similar like last round ADP like a lot of these guys especially like for me the, the rookies right now I, I hear you talking about uh, Malik Washington I hear Spags talking about Johnny Wilson I, I see like notes on all these different players and I'm like yeah these all It sounds amazing everybody who's hyping up a guy like this guy sounds great to me I've never seen any of them play so I'm kind of <laughs> taking taking random darts but I have gotten more into for especially for the big board where we do have as you said 20 rounds so so we you can take more risk I've started to sometimes reach a little bit earlier for those last round ADP guys as a way of differentiating because a lot of people are going to have one of those guys, maybe two of those guys. Not many people are going to have three of those last round bullets. And I think particularly in a 20 round draft, like you can, you can really do it without giving up much in terms of projection.
1: And that's the big thing again, from a DFS lens, we would talk about it all the time. I'm sure you've talked about it all the time. Again, of course, with, with blender. But I think about it, again, from a DFS angle, if I can, like what you're describing with the late round picks, that's the easiest, I think the easiest leverage that exists in best ball, like even somebody that's like never drafted a team could listen to this and go draft the team after and implement this like really straightforward, especially if they played DFS before because it just really clicks. You're like, okay, I got a bunch of $4,000 wide receivers on DraftKings, like, right? I got 30 of them. They all project between five and seven points it's they're all the same right they're all shitty (laughs) like they're they're all terrible of course some of them will fit better on some teams right uh uh, you know pick a it's a little tough right now with the big board but once we get to the summer and we know all the players are what teams what teams they're on right certain players who project for six points will get a boost from a correlation because you drafted their quarterback or or whatever but generally speaking, the uh, you know, all these guys that project the same in a DFS, you know, it's a DFS slate. Um, I guess not tonight. Thir- fast forward Thursday to when the NBA comes back, there's a there's a DFS slate. We've got a bunch of these four thousand dollar guys. They all project for the basically the same amount of points, give or take a little bit. Right. So why would I ever pl- when they all are the same? Ultimately, why would I ever play the exact same guys that everyone else is playing? Not yep. only is that not an edge. I'm giving away edge to the other people who don't do what I'm doing, right? I can, I can play two guys and they total project for 10 points. And that's the most popular pairing of two of those $4,000 uh, wide receivers or, or forwards or whatever. On the flip side, I can play two guys who project for 9.7 points when paired together. And they're paired together 1% of the time right it's like who would you rather have a tiny the tiniest little bit of right projection loss but the massive leverage gain that you can get from that and that's your pook. right is it going to hit most of the time of course not right but but that doesn't mean we don't want to try because i would love to try and get Dell and puka nakua and kyron williams on the same team because that's the fucking dream that's the absolute dream and so I just think it's like such an easy and straightforward way to people to come in and be like, okay, how do I apply that? Right, I've played DraftKings, DFS. How do I apply this in my teams? It's like, that's probably the core concept that is really easy to understand and easy to implement in your drafts.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you can take more darts. So I'm trying to, as you're giving, as we're talking about this, I'm trying to think of examples of right now, like players who are just not drafted in most drafts where like I can see an upside case, like Xavier Hutchinson, I guess maybe is, is not mm-hmm. drafted in, in that many drafts, and I'm like, he might be the wide receiver three for the Texans this year, might have major upside. And, and and I'm also saying like a difference, I guess, between best ball and DFS is DFS is pretty unlikely that a player is going to get hurt during the game. And like suddenly their projection jumps a ton, whereas in best ball, it happens all the time, especially with running backs, which is why I know you, you like doing zero RB. I do a lot of zero RB, too. It's because you have a full season for. The running back either to take over, which happens all the time, just like turns out the backup running back was better. So he uh supplants mm-hmm. the starters, or the starter just gets hurt. Like the, the, a lot of wear and tear on running backs. So then the, the the backup comes in without any wear and tear, comes in fresh, suddenly he's a starter and in a great spot. Um, so like it, it's similar in some ways, and also like the projections are just not nearly as reliable in basketball as DFS because. So much changes throughout the season that could make suddenly Xavier Hutchinson is going to get a great opportunity, or Jawan Jennings. You know, maybe you know he's never been anything. He's probably not the best example. Probably a rookie is a better example of somebody who is going to come in like 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 we saw with Puka and Tank Dell last year. They came in as rookies, last round guys, not drafted every draft, and suddenly they are amazing. They're probably more likely to be those guys at the wide receiver position than a guy like Jawan Jennings. He's just popping in my head because he just had a great Super Bowl. Um, but you can you can kind of take more of those dart throws, especially in a 20-round draft. I mean, even in an 18-round draft, I think you can. But in a 20-round draft, like you you need to be taking those shots on dart throws that nobody else is taking because you just have so many bullets, so so many chances to get something right. You can take a lot of risks. And and the crazy
1: thing is they're also they end up like again, using the projection thing, like from DFS, it's like there are undrafted players who, using my four thousand uh, dollar wide receiver, there are undrafted players who, if we say they all are project for five points, right? But a bunch of these guys are drafted in ninety-five percent of drafts, right? Yep. Uh, not the guys you you listed, but think you know um i'm trying to th- even think of a, an example from from last year uh, I, of course i can't come up with one off the top of my head but you know some 18th round wide receiver like Devontae parker i'm just yeah let's go uh, right. throwing a guy out there Devonte parker right he's he projects for for six points but he's drafted in 95 percent of drafts most of the time he gets selected in the 17th or 18th round there are guys like puka nakua who maybe have a wider range of outcomes um, but they project, you know, from, again, from a medium projection, okay, a half a point less, right. A half a point less than Devonte Parker. If I'm applying a DFS principle to it, it's like, it's close to not like he projects for less, which is why he doesn't get drafted in every single draft. Right. Which is also why, like, it doesn't mean take Puka in every draft, but to your point, like, I want to spread out my chips on the guys who could be leverage as opposed to just like oh we got to round 17 and Devontae parker's at the top of the adp list so i'm just gonna take him you know he's the he's the best guy i'm gonna scroll down a little bit and find the guy who's in five percent of drafts and projects just slightly worse but a lot of the times might even have more ceiling right like we're just talking about median projections like from a ceiling projection puka that that range of outcomes is a good thing that's a feature not a but not a bug right it's kind of like uh again a, a cheap wide receiver that is you know mega mega upside i'm trying to went some of those rookies before like early season tank dell was 3500 or whatever because we didn't know but it was like oh if you look back now you're like well my god by the end of the year he was 8k you know know the
0: first game of the year this is the first game of the year this year was uh chiefs versus lions what was the opening night game for the nfl and rasheed rice was like sub two percent owned i believe and i i remember thinking like Oh my God, I am such a fish. Why did I not jam that guy? Like it was like pretty clear that he had an opportunity, but I didn't. And, and honestly, I think it was partially because I was doing content, and I was like, I can't make a case. I mean, I, I guess I could have made a case because it was the case is obvious. Like this guy is going unowned, and we don't know what's going to happen with these Chiefs yeah. receivers. I made the assumption that like they're not going to put this rookie in right away. He's not going to have many opportunities. It's, it's clearly going to be Sky Moore. Obviously, it's going to be Sky Moore. Uh, <laughs> but it was such a fish thing in retrospect. Like that was such an obvious play to go to Rasheed rice in the opening night showdown when nobody was playing Rasheed rice. And of course they scored a touchdown immediately and, and made us all regret <laughs> it immediately. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a struggle. Um,
1: Do you ever think about that? Um, I find myself sometimes, you know, so you mentioned like, okay, when I'm targeting these players, I'll sometimes put it in the frame of reference of DFS salary. Yeah. So like you said, Rushy Rice week one, and this is how he, this is also like a, the pricing is like ADP, right? So week one, you know, Rushy Rice is being drafted in the 14th or 15th. I don't remember what is ADP was. It was late. Let's just call it 14th round. So that's like you said, that's a $3,500 wide receiver, pretty close to min price, but just a little bit higher yeah. than, than min price. But that type of a player, because of what you just said, you can't come up with a reason to tout them because uncertainty as the reason is not a good reason to most people. Right. When you're creating content, when I say you should take him because I have no fucking idea how it's going to turn out. Like that doesn't sound good. Right. They want to hear you should take him because I know how it's going to turn out. And, and that's, that's not a good sales pitch for rushy rice, but in a draft is like, I'm telling you he's going to be 3,500 in week one, but in his range of outcomes is being eight K in week 17. Right. Devontae Parker is, 3,900 in week one, but his ceiling price is like 4,600, <laughs> right? right? Like week 17, the goal, like the dream scenario for Devante Barker is 4,600. The dream scenario for Rashi Rice is, frankly, what happened, where he becomes a uh, you know in the 7Ks or whatever he got up to on DraftKings. Like I like to think about it that way, and I find that people that have played a lot of DFS like us, like that will click. It's like, oh yeah, the guy who could be 8K in week 17, drafting him in the 17th round. That seems like a pretty substantial edge when everybody else is drafting, and I've done this. Like yeah. I, I've, I, I hate, I hate myself for it. Like I got some Braxton Berrios teams last year. Like one hey. of my best teams hey. on Underdog was Braxton Berrios, and I was like, because I convinced myself, oh, the correlation, right? I draft Tyreek and Tua on this team. Maybe I even have you know Andrews. Got we got our little Week Seventeen thing going on here. Braxton Berrios might be the wide receiver three, for, and he was actually the wide receiver nice. three. The not matter at all, yeah. So I was right, but he could he didn't have that 8k in his range, right? The ceiling price for Braxton Berrios was like 4200 this year. So, like, why would I ever draft that guy when there are guys back there who may just bottom out at 3k, right? They may never get off that floor of, of 3k, but they also. Mike gets at seventy five hundred in in a and like thinking about it that way has helped me a lot and like the only way to do that is is from having played DFS.
0: Yeah, I really like that idea of thinking about the potential salary range of outcomes. I guess. So so for me, uh, and that's something that I I probably have not done particularly well in the past because I definitely drafted some Devonte Parker last year and, and some Kendrick Bourne. like I took these guys thinking like well We don't know who the Patriots wide receiver one is gonna be so I'll just take these shots on these guys Like maybe they have the, the the shot range of outcome to be the Patriots wide receiver one in the 18th round like that would be great Um, so so maybe it's uh Something that I need to work on is the evaluation of what a player's range of outcome actually is which I think I'm, I'm getting better at the yeah. longer I play best ball like Uh, play these contests where you're taking guys 18th round you know 20th round late round guys kind of figuring out what the range of outcomes is for some of these guys but that can also be a little bit difficult it's just figuring out like like I don't know I mean I I clearly did not have um Kyron Williams this range of outcomes what one one of my bigger mistakes and and I like I don't even know to what extent I played it wrong but I drafted a lot of Rico Dowdle rather than Hmm. Kyron Williams because in my mind Rico Dowdle first of all not getting drafted much at all Kyron was drafted drafted just a little bit more than Rico Dotto so wasn't mm-hmm. like a huge edge there but to me it was like well what's going to happen when he hits like he is the Cowboys running back too. like all the reports where he's the Cowboys running back too. if Tony Pollard gets hurt suddenly he's going to be in an amazing situation in this awesome offense uh, and I didn't know anything about his talent he has a cool name so it sounds like I could be good <laughs> but who knows whereas Kyron Williams like I was like Everything I've heard about him is just kind of a plodding running back. Like, sure, maybe he can get in the game. Like, I know a lot of a lot of really short people took a lot of Kyron Williams. But everything I heard was like, yeah, he's not that fast. He's not that athletic. So to me, it was like, okay, he's the running back, too, in what I don't think is going to be a very good offense. Like, Matthew Stafford probably going to hurt during the year. So, so I made the bet on, well, I think the Cowboys are going to be the better offense. Um, and Rico Dowdle is going to be low-owned. Um, and, of course, it that, that was totally wrong. Like, Kyron is clearly... A good NFL running back, like good enough that he was getting all of the reps. The Rams offense is a lot better than I thought. And of course, Cam Akers, I uh, should have factored in that uh Cam Akers didn't get along with um Sean what McVay. Sean McVay. Yeah, he didn't get along with Sean McVay and was gonna get cut after week one or traded, whatever, whatever it was. Um, so that was just just an example of like trying to think through like, okay, where can I find a low-owned play? And of course, didn't work out with Rico Dowdle because uh Tony Pollard played i think every single game every game Mm -hmm. um so like you wouldn't know
1: you wouldn't know that he did by looking at his box scores but yes he did actually play uh every single game what a disastrous year for tony pollard but it's funny you bring that up because that's one going back to like what we're talking about at the close to the very beginning of analyzing your your dfs play and being like i don't know i think i played it fine like was it was it maybe perfect right should i maybe have mixed in some Kyron williams right so instead of again, just making up numbers instead of playing 20% doubt and 0% Kyron on this slate, I should have done 15 and five yeah. or something like, right. Something like that. I, I don't, I, I think that, you know, that kind of assessment would be fine, <clears throat> but I also think identifying Rico Dowdle was like good. Like you did all you che- it checked every box that Kyron kind of checked ultimately, right? It was like you said, okay, definitely not drafted in every draft. They were both. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but we do have, uh, oh, we have, the actual data as well as we project ownership at the end uh, you know, the draft rate of all those players at the end, I would venture to guess very, very similar somewhere in the range of 25 to 30% draft yeah. rate for both of those, both of those guys, they are backup running backs on, on you know varying levels of quality offenses in situations where both uh, would probably become workhorses, you know, right. if things shake out their way. So they have that, Range of outcomes of their again using their DFS price. There could, if something happens to Tony Pollard, there absolutely can become a scenario Rico Dowdle is a $7,500 running back, right? In week 17. But the same thing also could happen. I mean, Jesus, Kyron became like a $9,000 yeah. this year. Yeah. yeah. It's which is just absolutely wild. But I don't even think like it's easy to say it worked out this way. So I was wrong. Right. But I don't know that that's necessarily, you know, totally true. We can, I think it's more of a debate of around the edges, you know, like should I have found a little bit more Kyron and maybe a little bit less dowdle, but I think the process of, get, this is what I tell people about Kyron because I did, I was lucky enough to land on quite a lot of of Kyron Williams. It's the, about the only thing that saved, saved my whole season with all the whiffs I had, but it was the process of finding a player like that. Let's say, uh, you landed on Eli Mitchell a couple of years ago, right? His, I think it was his rookie season. He was really lowly drafted and ended up being the 49ers starting running back. When you land on someone like an Eli Mitchell, the process by which it led you there is going to make you a better player and like moving forward regardless. And that's how I feel about Dowdle. That's how I feel about Kyron. That's how I feel about Puka, you know, Tank Dell. All If your process led you to even just drafting those guys at all, I think you're on the right track. You can beat yourself up about it and, and you can analyze how much you should take of all of those guys. But I think you're absolutely on the right path to the types of players that you should be drafting back there, as opposed to, you know, a lot of, I mean, Deuce Vaughn, people were drafting Deuce Vaughn to use the Cowboys. Like people were drafting the wrong Cowboys running back, like just straight up wrong um, for whatever reason, you know, and probably the wrong kind of player. I mean, is fun but 150 pound running back in the NFL is probably not going to get very far but I think that's a that's a lesson from a we have to be able to treat best ball a little bit like DFS in that look it's one slate we only get to do this thing once a year and the results are going to be chaos right Tony Pollard happened to stay healthy Cam Haker happened to piss Sean McVay off again right. and and he liked Kyron more than we thought and we found that out late but it's like that's okay, you know. Like if if we play the DFS slate on a Sunday and we screwed it up, or the the results just didn't work out in our favor, we played Dowdle over Kyron, Like we'd be like, okay, lesson learned. I'm going to move on to next week, but I'm going to keep trying to play it right. But in Best Ball, like because it only happens once a year, we beat ourselves up so bad, even though the decisions we might have made were not necessarily super wrong. And that's hard. It's hard in DFS for sure, but I find it even harder in Best Ball to like. I want to learn lessons, but I want to make sure I'm learning actual lessons. I'm not just attaching myself to the results.
0: Right. I don't want to, I don't want to learn the wrong lessons here. Like I don't want to change the process that led me to Rico Dowdle just because Kyron Williams was such a smash last year. I will say, so, so like, I feel like I evolved throughout last year's best ball process in that early on, I was drafting a lot of Cordarell Patterson. Like he he was a guy who was like, oh, well he could be like, he's a, you know, a dynamic player, but it was like, what really was the ceiling for Cortrell Patterson I don't really know what it was after they drafted Bijan especially it was like I thought well he's still you know people are going to you know stay away from him but he's still a he's a receiver and a running back that can use yeah. him multiple ways but then as, as time went on it was just like he doesn't really have I don't think it's within his range of outcomes that he becomes the starting running back. So I draft. I started drafting as a lot more Dowdle. I drafted some Kyron. I didn't draft a ton. I draft. I forget who it was. The Cardinals running back. I remember I drafted a bit of the Cardinals running back. Actually, my my highest owned running back was Joshua Kelly, who was a guy that early on, I was like, I never thought of him as being good until he had a really good preseason and was (laughs) like named as the RB2 for the Chargers. It was like all right, well, if he's going to be the running back too and, like, he broke off a 50-yard run, I was like, I guess he's got more juice than I realized. (laughs) He's also in a good offense. It was like, all right, Mm -hmm. that's a guy. And then, of course, he became the starter. Austin Eckler did get hurt, and he put up, like, three fantasy points per game while he was there. But I think you're right. Like, it made sense for me to... Like, I don't think the process was totally wrong to just mix in a bunch of those guys who had, I thought, the juice. And I, I just remember what my... The whole reason I started talking about Rico Dottle is I need to get better. I think at evaluating players like that is that's a tough thing for uh, uh, the next step. I think in, in my best ball is the actual player evaluation. I think that I'm pretty good at just the the things that are transferable from DFS over to best ball, but I think that I tend to draft more for situation. Than for like the actual my actual thoughts on players, which is something that i'm working on and, and largely what i'm work How i'm working on that is listening to other content, which you know I, I enjoy best ball content as I said i'm listening to you and karain i've listened to, to some spags content uh, a lot of a lot of good best ball content Out there, I think so that's uh one way to uh to try and you know work on player evaluation I, I also liked what you and pat said Uh from that standpoint in your video of like just watch the highlights that is I, I feel like People do poo-poo it so much that I've been like hesitant to be that guy who like just goes and watches the highlights. because I'm like, well, I'm going to fall in love with this guy based on his highlight reel. But <laughs> I think that I think it is good advice. Like, why not? Just like if you watch all their highlight reels, then you can compare them to each other. Like, what does this guy do versus what that guy does? Um, so, yeah, I think player evaluation is, is something that I'm definitely working on a little bit this year that I don't think is a particularly big strength of mine. I think that my, my general strength is just, you know, knowing who is in a situation to potentially become a guy that you want to have later on and who's not, but, um, that's obviously still a work in progress. Um, yeah. one other thing that I, I wanted to get back to is, so as we were talking about the different buckets, one that I've been struggling with right now, like today doing drafts, I, I did a couple drafts today where I landed on, uh, Eagles and Jaguars stacks. So it was like, you, you draft AJ Brown, 10th or 11th overall, you, you take, uh, Jalen hurts in the third round. You take Devante Smith in the fourth round. Uh, then you can, you can get, uh, both the Jaguars guys, the next turn, the following turn, you get Evan Ingram and you take a running back. And then the following turn, you get Dallas Goddard and Trevor Lawrence. And it's like, Oh, it all fits together so nicely. And then I, I started to think like, i think i've done a very similar draft here twice in a row of taking (laughs) these two teams and i'm like okay if i'm doing this because it fits so nicely together yeah how many other people are doing it so now i have to worry about like okay so i'm there's a correlation lever which i'm clearly pulling but like am i giving up should i be taking other players for the combinatorial ownership aspect because is everybody going to be having you know trevor lawrence with all three of his receivers because it's really easy to do trevor lawrence with all three of his receivers should i instead be taking a guy that i never take george pickens like george pickens a guy that for me i've just been totally out on him maybe i shouldn't be completely out on george pickens uh maybe throw him in instead of one of the jaguars receivers maybe get a little bit different and honestly i'm not sure maybe that's kind of something that um one thing that i don't think is a particular strength of mine is Examining the data like I don't have a data analysis background and I feel like that's something where there are other people in the industry who are better than me at you know finding the data and being able to uh, Quickly analyze the data to see how often is that actually happening like in my head Maybe a lot of in my head a lot of people are probably drafting that combo of Trevor Lawrence with all three of his major pass catchers Maybe it's not happening that often and and I just don't know the answer to that though
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely I would, it's more difficult than projecting ownership on a DFS slate. That is for sure, because there's a lot more moving parts, right? Um, There, there is ADP, but there is no salary cap. There are 18 or 20 picks as opposed to a starting lineup that you, you know, you just fill out your straight up starting, starting lineup. So it is definitely more difficult. We do try, try to do it. I mean, we built the first, Projected ownership model in best ball, so you could probably tell the person probably could have guessed that we came from DFS, like strictly from from that. They're like, oh my god, they're building projected ownership models for best ball. Like clearly, these guys have been playing DraftKings for for a long time. But I think that uh, it, it's funny. Just I don't want to take away from that, but while you were saying that, I was also thinking about um, what we were talking about with contest selection and where certain kinds of structures fit certain kinds of contests a little bit better. And the like overstacking, like you like you were mentioning, can be a super powerful tool in DFS in like smaller field tournaments, right? Where it's like, I know because there's only, you know, if you're playing the Thunderdome, there can be, you know, only 20 people in it or even, you know, the luxury box or something, uh, where I'm just I'm gonna overstack a game or overstack a team. And like I'm playing Trevor Lawrence with all three pass catchers and maybe one or even two guys on the other side. And I'm just saying this game's going to have a bunch of points. I don't care if they all hit. I'm getting all the points from this game because I have to beat so few people that I really only, I want to limit the amount of things that I need to get right and allow my opponents to make more mistakes because they're going to try to get more things right. Right. Um, Like Mike Leone from ETR is really good at this in the Thunderdome, especially like he picks his spots where he knows, and he does a lot of overstacking. He'll play, you know, uh Kirk Cousins with Jefferson Addison and Hawkinson and just be like, it's Vikings week. I don't give a shit about anything about anything else. Vikings have a big game. I don't care that Hawkinson duds because I'm getting big scores from everybody. And I feel like people actually do it backwards in best ball, where we see overstacking in like best ball mania. It's like I'm taking all the jaguar i'm taking all the vikings give me the running back give me all three wide receivers give me the tight end give me you know and they not a third of their lineup is is minnesota vikings but you need to beat whatever 600,000 other teams what you probably need is like more of like, it's going to be cousins. It's going to be Jefferson and maybe Addison or right. something like that with my, my Viking, because I can't afford to sacrifice that many roster spots. Cause it's very unlikely that a, they all hit in a given season and it's, it's basically impossible that they all hit within a given playoff week, right at the highest levels. Sure. I have other roster spots, but like, I don't want to be dedicating too many roster spots to total zeros, right? The right. DFS example is I'm willing to maybe give away one to hit on more of them because I don't need to be perfect in best ball Mania, I can't think of a contest where you needed to be more, more perfect than how difficult best ball menia was to advance and then get to the final and beat 440 other, I think it was 440 other teams. Once you got there. And so People kind of do it almost, and, and then they get into the smaller field, best ball stuff, and they think less about overstacking, or they think less about like you don't maybe take less quarterbacks or something. Right. You know, you make like uh a, a, my one of my co-hosts, Rob Coakley, uh did really well in the Mastiff last year, a thousand dollar buy-in tournament, which had six out of twelve advance out of the regular season, and he took Patrick Mahomes in the second round, and he didn't take another. That was the only quarterback. He took. No way. Wow. Yeah, the only quarterback, and he made the final. He didn't win, but he had Kyron on that team. He might've even had Puka and like, he might've had all three of those guys you mentioned before. And it was but like, how did he get that? Cause he only took, because he was catering his team to the contest that he was in. And he said, I mean, it's a 50, it's a, it's a double up basically Right. right in the regular season. Why do I need, why do I need Kenny Pickett on the, on like, what is Kenny Pickett doing for this team? And so catering, catering to that. I think though, your original point about the, the like, You know, combinatorial ownership stuff is again the most impactful, but the hardest as well. I think it mostly matters. um, And this is also something that I think comes from DFS, like around the fringes. Um, Your example, I don't think I would worry too much about, but the big one last year that was by far the highest owned combination of players was Travis, Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes. Their ADP is aligned. They were the first, you know, two picks. It's the chiefs. It's like, you know, Oh yeah, there's no Tyreek. Kelsey's the tight end one. Mahomes is the you know quarterback one. I can see how this works so, so easily. And it all just fits together. So something like 50% of Travis, Kelsey teams had Patrick Mahomes. Wow. And it was like, like, uh, I can spot one really easy way to like still get right. Take Travis Kelsey without Patrick Mahomes or take Patrick Mahomes with Rashi rice right now. I'm pulling both of the, I'm pulling the rookie running back lever. I'm pulling the uniqueness lever. I'm pulling the, the, like all these different levers together. And like, I didn't, I, all I did was take Patrick Mahomes with his rookie wide receiver. Like that, that's, that's easy. Like that, right. that, that's a really easy way to do it. So I think to your example, I wouldn't worry too much about that one i would think about it in the context of like the ones where it's mega 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 obvious right just like in dfs like whether the guy is nine percent owned or six percent owned like i'm not going to waste my time worrying about that but i am going to worry about alexander madison when dalvin cook is out right or rico dowdle when tony pollard is out like okay i know he's going to be chalky and people will say i'm just going to eat that chalk but what does that mean you're going to eat that chalk and then what Right. Because then you ate that chalk. Now, are you going to play the super chalky 3k wide receiver? Are you going to play the chalkiest stack? Now things start to become, you know, difficult when you do that. And I think it's very similar in best ball in that regard, too.
0: Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, you see that all the time in DFS where it's like, yeah, yeah I'm just going to eat the chalk on this 3k wide receiver who's <coughs> going to be starting now, but I'm also going to eat the chalk on this other, you know, $9,000 wide receiver who's in a great spot. So now you have two lineup spots that are, you know, the same as 10% of the field and you're you're just really driving yourself to the same type of lineup. Um I feel like i had a million thoughts uh, while you're talking about that. <laughs> so, so one of them that occurred to me is um i think it is also it depends on the cost like sometimes you can yeah you can overstack more later on in the draft so i think that's more okay because then you're just you know taking dart throws whereas uh you know that the that the examples of um mahomes and kelsey was like you had to take them in the first and third round so it's like you mm-hmm. are spending a lot on those players uh, and it, it reminded me of uh, one of the more interesting. So, I, I did a best ball show last year with Jacob Sanderson. And we had that conversation where we got Jamar Chase with the 102. And then, you know, typically I was always like, all right, when, when we get back around to the 211, I'm going to take T Higgins. And then when we get to the 411, take Joe Burrow. Like, you just complete that stack. And he, he made the point of like, Honestly, given the price tag on T. Higgins here in the second round, I think the only way this hits is if Jamar Chase gets hurt. So he was like, "Let's not take T. Higgins on this Jamar Chase team," which was really hard for me because it, it was also mm-hmm. like, you know, you couldn't do it every time. Sometimes you get sniped. Um, but uh, after he like made that point, I was like, "I hey, think you're kind of right." He like based on every raw like projection I've seen for the season. This is too early for T. Higgins. I think that he's been moved up here because people want to draft him with Chase, so they're they're overdrafting T. Higgins ahead of ADP, and like it is tough for this to work. So it's kind of like a there's a there's a push and pull there of like, okay, yeah, maybe you're right. Like you shouldn't take T. Higgins at that spot on your Jamar Chase team. Now he he was actually I think okay with taking him in the third round like just like if the guy at the turn doesn't take to higgins and he falls to you then maybe you can get him which then like you have a different combo then because most people are right. taking in the second yep. round so it adds to a little bit of a different and combo. he's a
1: cheaper he's a he's a slightly cheaper salary right yeah. again using the he yeah. went from he went from 7500 to 6900 right and and you're he's now paired with a different Running back or what? Right, right. uh A two percent owned or running January back as a yeah. Right, right. He's he, now that running back that's in your your RB one spot is two percent owned as opposed to twenty percent owned.
0: Right, at, le- at least within that combo, two percent owned yes. as opposed right, to 20. right, right, right. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So for yeah, so it, it, it's always an interesting, and it's the same thing in DFS. It's always a push and pull of like, okay, I want to correlate as much as possible, but obviously you're, you don't want in DFS. You're not going to take the quarterback with. You know, four pass catchers on like a regular size slate. So like uh it's always a push and pull of like, okay, I want to correlate with my quarterback, obviously. And then I remember you saying this on high sticks you think that people overstack in best ball, which I struggle with that. And, and I, I guess it, I as I said, I think it really does come down to salary because I think that it's totally fine to overstack late because you're just taking dart throws. Yep. Uh, but maybe I'm, I'm coming around to the idea of, you know, of course, I just I just did this uh, with the 49ers. I had a draft, which I was super excited about because I got uh, Christian McCaffrey 101, both Ayuk, Ayuk and Debo fell to the 2-3 turn. Then George Kittle fell all the way to 72. And I got uh, Brock Purdy at 96. So it was like, oh, this is such a fun team. And of course, you can't <laughs> more of these. But I'm like, it's probably not actually a good team. It's like good from a, I guess it's a probably a low combinatorial ownership team. Not a lot of people yeah. have. Because I had four, four of them fell well past ADP, but ultimately, like in the championship week, clearly all five of these players are. I mean, Pur- Purdy and two pass catchers can, can score, but probably you know not not all five of them are going to score. So it's uh, it's always it's always a push and pull with all of the different levers that we're pulling for both DFS and Best Ball.
1: And and it's it's so fascinating. The the stacking thing is easily the most. Um, Fascinating like lever to To analyze the other stuff is like I don't I don't mean it straightforward because <clears throat> nothing is Ultimately straightforward in a lot of these strategy Games but the stacking one Is so fascinating because on one hand Even at, at the expensive cost You have like Again think, thinking about my DFS lineup <clears throat> I am I'm Saying my quarterback is 7,000 My wide receiver one is 8,500 and my wide receiver two is 7,500 they're all on the same team Right um, and, and frankly, like using the bengals, it's not often very optimal to have burrow chase and Higgins. Certainly, now you th- let's say you throw Mixon in there and you know, hey, not Irv Smith, and he wasn't relevant, but, four- but yeah, 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 right. We toss Yoshi, and it's like you know, that's definitely not going to win a, D- a DFS tournament again, maybe the Thunderdome. It might win the Thunderdome, but it's not going to win, you know, the Millie maker. Like you just know that going in, uh, if you've played DFS at all, maybe if it's your, your first time, you haven't figured that out, but you'll learn, you lose enough, just like I did. You'll learn eventually. But in best ball, of course, the argument is, well, I have other, right. I have a a bit, I have 18 or 20 players, so I don't need what I really need is the Bengals to be awesome. And then to kind of like cycle through, yeah. rotate the, back and right? forth, yeah. ping pong, if you will, yep. the these these spike weeks, no pun intended, and that is powerful. That is like I like to call it like manufacturing leverage. Is, is is a lot of what we're doing with all of this stuff. I'm trying to find ways that I'm going to. I can guarantee, basically, if I draft all the Bengals, I'm going to man and, and they hit. I'm going to have some form of leverage, like if I make it to week 17, right? Because it just can't be that like maybe Burrow and one of the wide receivers are very popular because they have that big game in week 16 or week 15 or whatever. But it just cannot be that all of them go off, especially all throughout the playoffs, weeks 15 and 16 and certainly not 17. So someone has to be lower owned. But at what, when, when does that leverage exceed the other levers that we're, right. we're trying to pull, right? The cost and the, the combinatorial, right? All of that stuff. What went, went, and there is no, that's what's beautiful about this game is there is no absolute right or, or wrong answer. We actually did some, some research, I think last summer or two summers ago. I can't remember it. We've been this best ball things getting out of hand, uh, but it was about the Bengals specifically where we said, I think it was in Chase's rookie year. It, it did. It, it was, very, very impactful to take them all together because T I believe T was all, like had huge weeks in 15 and 16 and then week 17, Jamar chase was absolutely the the guy you needed. He had four or five touchdowns or whatever against the chiefs in that game. And so it was like, but he was low owned. Jamar chase was low owned. So how was a way you could get to week 17 and get there with a low owned Jamar chase? It's like, we'll take them both, right? Take T and take chase and then take burrow. And now you've got it. But there's some, like I said, there's some form of diminishing returns on the more you attach onto there and the more cost that uh, that comes with the stack. And I definitely don't have a right answer, but I've, 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 I clearly you have too. Like I've thought a ton about this and it is all, like you said, it's always this balancing act. And I also think what well, kind of lastly, how much of your portfolio you put into that? I think yeah, s- like, right. Like some, some number of that 49er stack is good i feel like i can say that definitively how much do i want of that stack i don't i don't know it's going back to like the owners the efficient ownership versus raw ownership right like in DFS i care what a guy should be owned compared to what he is owned right. not necessarily what just his ownership is and that's right. where i feel about this exact thing too i'm trying to figure out how much i i'm pretty sure i can spell out a good case that this is a good thing to do on x number of teams but what is that x number of teams is what i'm really trying to figure out
0: yeah absolutely yeah that's a good point and uh speaking of the the buckets and uh, uh, combinatorial ownership versus correlation that also comes into play for me for the week 17 thing mm. and i think I probably overestimate the number of people who are correlating for week 17 because of the content I assume uh, yep. I consume. So I'm like, so this year I'm like, maybe I need to be doing a little bit more of it just because it's something that I've always like pushed back on a little bit. Because I'm like, you don't even do it for DFS. Like you're trying to correlate for a, a game that's happening 17 weeks out. Like it's just so low on my priority list like not not a complete non-priority i definitely i would i would guess i have significantly more week 17 correlation than your average drafter but also like it's not something that i like necessitate in every draft like i'm not like forcing it for every draft having that week 17 yep. correlation uh in part because i, I probably because I overestimate the number of people that are doing it because <laughs> the more people that are doing it, well, then suddenly it's like, well, that, well, now if, if you're doing it and Karain's doing it, you're going to have the same teams because you're, you're forcing the same combos there. Well, now the combinatorial ownership is going up on that combo of players, but ultimately it's probably, it's probably not nearly as prevalent as I think it is, which is where I think data analysis is probably helpful and something that maybe I need to work on, or maybe we have enough people doing it uh, on, on the case already that we're going to, we're going to solve that. But uh, something that I think at this point is still kind of unsolved, like how many people are doing it? So uh, w- what is the combinatorial ownership on the, mm-hmm. you know, Cowboys and Lions? Like last year it was really easy to do uh, a Monroe St. Brown with one of C.D. Lamb or Tony Pollard. So a ton of people had those combos of those teams, which worked out really well this year. Um, yeah but uh yeah it's hard it's at least i don't know maybe you've already done the research i'm sure somebody is working on the research of how many people are doing the week 17 runbacks um because that would that that affects like whether i want to be doing it is how many other people are doing it
1: yeah it's it's sort of it's similar to how i feel about it in, in dfs actually um dfs it has maybe reached the point though of it's pretty efficient, I think. Um, I, I used to think, and maybe this is why I'm, I'm not making as much money in DFS anymore, but because back then it was... So there's there's multiple tangible benefits to something like a game stack, which is what we're talking about with Week 17, right? The bringbacks. Yep, yep. um, with, with a game stack in DFS, it is... And this is somewhat true uh, in best ball as well. It's also paths to... Getting outsized gains on lower owned, again, combinatorial ownership, but lower owned pieces along with a game. A game can bring along players, right? That's the the correlation boost type stuff. A game environment can bring along additional players that also give you savings to afford, right? Yoshivas, including Andre Yoshivas as your last round pick in a stack of what Bengals and the Chiefs play in week 17 again. Yeah. Let's just say that, right? you got Chase, you got Burrow, you tossed uh you know Pacheco in, in there or whatever and then you tossed in Yoshivas at the end. It's like, well, he catches, you know, Burrow throws for four touchdowns, Chase gets two of them, Yoshivas gets two of them. It's like that kind of game the game blowing up, the Bengals blowing up. Well, now the Chiefs are going to throw more. So Pacheco, you know, is catching, you know, Pacheco ends up catching nine passes. He only projected for 2.5 catches or whatever, but the game environment's, you know, uh elevates his ceiling. That is a huge benefit, certainly in DFS, right? Bringing along. I like to do that. I like to bring along like that cheap guy, generally the tight end. Actually, I I, I prefer to do it with the tight end because it's like this. They all suck. They're all going to be low scoring. Let's bring that guy along and just say he gets there because of the game, not be not because of him. He's often a lot lower owned. So I try to think about it that way in best ball a lot. Again, using my DFS brain, I'm like, okay, there's clearly benefits to like the Chase T Burrow right? Mix in all that kind of stuff. But it's also, uh, there are ways that I could probably get a lot of the same effect in a maybe more advantageous way, right? Like Yoshivas or the tight end or something like that can can make a, a lot more sense in that build or the tight end on the opposite side, right? So my, my uh, uh, best team this past year in Best Ball Mania, did have a game stack of ravens dolphins which i wouldn't classify it as what you needed but it was pretty close um lamar was the highest scoring quarterback zay flowers had a big game and then uh, i didn't have any other i drafted a lot of mark andrews and luckily he wasn't on this team uh i had Jalen waddle who missed week 17 but i also brought along devon aching oh nice and so he he was a, ended up being a good pick like just in general but also raheem Mostert ended up being out in that game. And again, using the DFS parallel, HN was like right there with CMC Kyron as like the highest projecting running backs in that game. So bringing guys along and getting lucky, which is ultimately what happened with HN it, the, the impacts on that lineup are so, so huge. And so I'm, st- I still tend to side with like allowing myself to get less things, right? Because in best ball, especially with the bench with the 18 or 20 roster spots, I kind of think of it as a free roll, right? It's like, I got other running backs. It doesn't, this game doesn't have to blow up. Like Waddle and HN could have sucked, but Lamar and Zay are awesome. I still got six other running backs. right? You know what I mean? In DFS, it's like, it's gotta be real precise here. You know what I mean? Like I, I, cause I don't have a bench, like I don't have backup players that can come in for my starters. So I try to think about it in best ball through the fact that like, I want to use the DFS principles, but I also want to, understand that the game is a little bit different and how can i balance that is very very hard but that's what i'm trying to think through like while i'm drafting the team
0: i will say it's also helpful like a, a an ancillary benefit is just like portfolio management like i feel like it gets you out of your take lock like and, and it's part part of the reason that i like to do um that i'm a bi-week bro is also partially like well normally i'm always going to take yoshivas in the 18th round but I already have three wide receivers with that bye week. So I'm going to take a different wide receiver. Mm, instead. Yeah. I think that it's kind of this it, that can also open that way with the uh, week 17 correlation of just like, well, normally I would take this guy, but these guys, I have them tiered together. And even though I prefer this guy, I'm going to take this other guy instead, which maybe happened with HN. Like maybe you took him over somebody that you preferred, right. or, or at least it could happen where it's just like you spread out your exposures a little bit more, which you know, you, you can argue whether that's a good thing or not. I like to spread out my exposures as somebody who doesn't have like really strong really strong player takes. Like, I don't think that is my strongest suit, but I still end up having them. Like I end up, like I said, taking a lot of Rico Dowdle. Well, maybe maybe if I was a Week Seventeen bro, maybe I would have taken more Kyron. I mean, it would have been a Giants lineup, so it would have sucked anyway. But yeah. you know, maybe you can you can <laughs> land on some of some different player exposures by focusing on that week 17 which you know it, it's not really something that applies to dfs i, I guess it does kind of in dfs also because you, you have the bring back you're doing the same thing you're taking mm-hmm. a bring back that you know players that you wouldn't also so there are kind of ancillary benefits to your portfolio um you know added to the, the uh the lineup specific benefits
1: A 100 it's a it's a really nice way like you said to not get to not get take lock and it it comes naturally in dfs because like you said you're you're it's much more math based and spreadsheet based, and uh, best ball is much more v- vibes based. Yeah. Because, like you said, the, it's not that a projection means nothing. I, I, I like to use the concept of a projection to drive decision making in best ball more so than the practicality of like right? the, the practicality right. of a projection in DFS is like mass. It's like everything, right? Yeah. Um, You know how a player projects versus his peers on a slate is is and obviously then ownership and you can you box all that up, and that's how you you play the slate. Best ball is like. You know whether I project the guy for a thousand yards or twelve hundred yards or whatever, it, re- it just really, really doesn't matter. But a the concept of projection can create what I would like be like tiers, which is like pricing. I'm like right. I'm using the projection to create a DFS price for this for all these players. So here's this group that all projects similar, so they're all seven thousand dollars. So then that helps me make decisions. And again, like you said, not get take lock. So I start to package up all these levers just like we do in DFS. I say okay. All right. I've said they all project the same. So they're all in the same tier. They're all $7,000. Then what do I do? Right. Then I, then now, okay. When I come on the clock and I'm in that tier, combinatorial ownership comes into play. My exposure comes into, right. I, I seem to have, you know, 40% of this one guy in this tier, but five guys all project the same. And I got 2% of one of them and 40% of the other one. That, that projection concept, that DFS pricing concept leads me to be like, I should probably smooth this thing out a yeah. little bit. Then you also, like I said, then you also have the correlation stuff is like, how do I, how do I make my portfolio better without having to be the world's best predictor of players, which is like that, that doesn't exist. I mean, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's just better at it than all of us. An edge. Yeah. Yeah. You can have an edge, but someone find me the guy who can <laughs> really just beat the market consistently and the player takes like, yeah, I, I got some oceanfront property to sell you here in, in yeah. St. Louis, but you can use these levers to like create this portfolio. And I do think that's like from a DFS angle again, is one that like is a powerful tool that I think the casual best ball player who hasn't played um, DFS and probably struggles with that a lot more where I like you, you and I coming from that, I think it's a big edge that we just like stepped in right away with some of these little levers that we've just been pulling like not even thinking about it for years in DFS. And so then you start pulling them in your best ball drafts too. Whereas the other person, like you said, just, just like you have to learn you know, maybe some player evaluation, just like I, there's plenty of things that I have to learn, but this is one where other people have to learn it. And if you've played DFS consistently, you probably don't.
0: Right. We, we have a leg up on people who have not played DFS. It's funny. I, I've had the conversation with my wife a few times when, when like, explaining best ball just like talking through best ball to her she comes to the conclusion pretty regularly it sounds like it's just all luck it's just all <laughs> and i'm like no i swear to god like i swear the bigger edge here and it, it's, yeah. it's hard because it is it's like yeah there is a full season for things to go wrong and i'm like oh a guy i have in 20 of my best ball lineups just got ruled out for the rest of the season like yeah that sucks but at the end of the day it's like I feel like there's like, it's like early days DFS. I and mean, you're talking about like uh, efficient ownership. Like you're trying to find exploit. Like I, you and I are both, I think, exploitative DFS players. We're trying yep. to take advantage of the field making mistakes. Well, DFS is getting to the point where it feels like, ownership is hard to exploit like it is so efficient not always but a lot of the time it's like yep. MLB particularly is like trying to to do stacks MLB it's just like yep everything is perfectly efficiently owned the field has gotten so much better whereas best ball like there's there's just still such massive edges you see people all the time taking five quarterbacks even though they took two in the first three rounds it's just like there are so many people making massive mistakes I, I, I feel like just using these DFS principles, we don't have to be the best in the world to have, you know, plus EV li- lineups are going to be good long-term and, and be long-term, hopefully profitable players, at least, at least in, in Sklansky <laughs> terms. Yes.
1: Yes. That's, that's the hard part because it, it is absolutely like your wife is right. Anybody else that says it like <clears throat> there's the, the results are ultimately luck. I, I would prefer to call it variance. Um, sure, sure. It's, it's, ab- it's absurd yeah. variance. The, the, the game in its in and of itself is, I mean, it's absolutely insane. Like you said, like I will go to my grave. That J.K. Dobbins was arguably the best pick in twenty twenty three drafts at its cost. Especially he like fell over the summer. That's why I got crazy overweight. I was like, I like this guy in the fourth round. Now he's going in the seventh. How do I stop? Like, and he what, was doing was, well like,
0: in week one. He was exactly. doing well
1: also played him in my DFS lineups in week one. I ruined it. Let's just say, I feel fairly responsible for the, for the demise of JK Dobbins yeah, with all the, the uh, best ball ownership and DFS ownership in week one. But like it, it, it could absolutely be true. I could be right. He was the best pick in the, in the, the whole player pool. I was right. He was the biggest edge and he got hurt in week one. So it doesn't fucking matter. Like it, yeah. it doesn't matter at all. Right. It's like, Uh, a dfs slate where you play a running back right who gets hurt on the first drive is like uh you know you might have been right but it doesn't it doesn't matter in the results because the variance what just didn't play out in in your favor but people uh miss you know misapply the the things like luck and variance to say that there's not skill or there's not edges that exist a lot of the times when something is really high variance the edges can be that that's what i believe about best ball actually yeah. they're they're more pronounced in the edges because everyone can't wrap their head around how much variance there is and what that what does that mean like what does that variance mean and that's where all this ownership shit and all these levers that we keep talking about why does it matter it's specifically because the, the variance is so high and our opponents are not thinking about that variance whereas why are we saying that the dfs edge has sort of dried up it's because all of our opponents that's all they're thinking about is right. the they're, they're playing it like a game theory game, not a prediction game, but best ball players are playing it like a prediction game and not a game theory game. And so it's like, that is specifically our edge. Will I win this year or will I ever win in 20 right. years? I don't know. It's only 20 slates. I, I've i lost 20 DFS slates in a row. A lot, a lot, right. lots it happens of times. all the time. Yeah, right. it happens all the time. So if I do it in best ball, does that mean I was wrong? No. Does that mean I'm bad? No, but it doesn't mean it does mean I, I might be getting my money in good. And that kind of goes back to the. Making sure we're taking away all the right lessons from the things that we're trying to do, and I feel like again that, that having played you know a decade plus worth of DFS has helped hone in that that specific skill set. I want to I want to ask a, a a question that uh, uh, I had sort of forgotten earlier. You mentioned zero RB, so of course you hit close close to my heart. You know that's easy way to get into onto my good side is is to say that you draft a lot of oh, a yeah. lot of zero zero RB. <clears throat> I I have learned to people who understand DFS explaining zero running back to them through DFS terms is like one of the best ways um, to be like, this is why you need to do this is because I'm going to give you running backs who cost $3,000 and $4,000 in week one, but they're going to cost $8,000 in week 17 on the week 17 slate. But, you don't have to pay eight thousand for them. You get to pay three thousand, and you get to reap the benefits when they become eight thousand dollars in week seventeen. Or maybe they didn't become eight thousand dollars, but they became the highest owned player on that that DFS slate because the guy in front of them is out. Right? He got hurt in week sixteen. Right. So in week seventeen, I I have this other guy. But then you you basically got everybody else is playing with fifty thousand dollars in salary cap. You got like eighty. You got like 80,000 in salary cap because you still got Justin Jefferson. You still got because you didn't have to pay that. And then you might've gotten low ownership, right? What if I could guarantee you that you could have Kyron Williams for three, sorry, 4,000, I'm dating myself. Uh, The running backs haven't been $3,000 in a a long time. Yeah, you get $4,000 Kyron Williams, guaranteed sub 10% ownership, and you only have to spend 4000 but he's worth 8000 And you get to, you know, so then you get all the impacts of that, right? You get Jefferson and Tyreek and all that kind of stuff. Doesn't that sound much better to you? Like if I could show up with that team in week 17 versus the $50,000 team that's like, you know, I'm just playing the same $50,000 game that everybody else is. There's one way and one way only to build a team that can access that $80,000 or $100,000 lineup And it's zero running back. And yet everybody, because again, like the uncertainty that you talked about before, because of that, people run away from it. And I'm like, no, 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 run, run towards the light. Run to like, uh, I don't know what's in that light, but you need to run towards it because that's how you get the $100,000 team.
0: So the the counterpoint would obviously be, well, why couldn't it be a wide receiver who, you know, spikes in the, in the final weeks and we like tank Dell and, and Puka Nakua this year, but that's just so much less common. Like yes, this year in particular, like it was like beyond round 11. If you look at all of the wide receivers beyond round, I I don't know what the 11 or 12, it was like, nobody hit. (laughs) Like it was like, there was like four wide receivers. So you were like at all happy that you drafted. Whereas there were tons of running backs. I mean, raheem mostert early on was like it was a last round pick also uh obviously you have kyron williams um and and there were you know Nico I mean, was reasonably cheap yeah, was, i'm trying to think of some other guys maybe. Um, um
1: you know J- Jalen warren was okay priced i actually used he, he didn't even get the benefit of an injury but i used tyler algier's score in both week 16 and and week 17 and like he he was pretty cheap yeah to your point there's Singletary. There's Singletary, singletary, awesome. Yeah, awesome, awesome pick that comes on late. Zamir White zamir yeah. white coming on late with the with no josh jacobs chandler. I mean, ty chandler ty, ty, yeah. yep, ty chandler another one i mean you mentioned like josh kelly it's like there's guys who gained the opportunity but didn't hit from it but they right. still gained like there was a week this year where josh kelly was the highest owned player on a dfs slate he didn't right. do shit because he yeah. sucks and the chargers suck and yeah. shout out to shout out to me for falling you know falling on that uh, uh banana or stepping on that banana peel but in, in in best ball and in dfs but like how many times does that happen? Like you said, the wide receiver path is he's just so much better than we think, which is right. good. Like you can typically that, that's rookies. Good. typically. Yeah. Rookies. I, I, and we want to draft those guys. I, I, you should draft those guys, but from a structural perspective, like you can draft those guys and draft zero, zero running back. You know what I mean? There's ways to have your cake and eat it too. But I think people are just, there's still like, it, it's like we defined one of the most optimal DFS roster constructions. And people are just saying, no, nah, you know right. no it's like it's like no 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 we we solved like the cash game <laughs> construction and you're not interested in doing it you're just going to lose you know what yep. i mean and it's not that that's not what it is with zero running back but i think from an, again efficient ownership it's not we haven't reached the levels of that structure being efficiently owned
0: and like this year, we knew that like like Rico Donald, they they kept saying over and over, this is the running back to Josh Kelly, yep. he's the running back too. Uh, Kyron Williams was, I think, pretty clearly the running back. Too. Like yep. you knew the who end. the yep. running backs, you knew who was going to benefit from an injury. So it was like there's a really good chance that these guys are going to become the guy at some point during the year. There's going to be at least weeks where they step in, and they could step in like for the rest of the year, like with with Kyron there wasn't even injury. Cam Akers didn't even get hurt. It was just like, <laughs> no, we don't like Cam Akers anymore. Kyron's a guy now. And suddenly he's getting, you know, 25 touches a game. Uh, and that happens every year, every single year. And that's something that, you know, uh, going back, I early, early fantasy football days, not, not best ball, not DFS fantasy football. Uh, I, I talk about how uh, in college I won uh, the championship in both leagues, both cross country leagues, whatever. I I just drafted Larry Johnson. It was just like very clear to me. Oh, uh, priest Holmes. Everybody like priest Holmes is a third round back. He gets hurt every year. Larry Johnson is amazing. Just like (laughs) draft the backup running backs. And like, that was obviously you can't really do that as much anymore in, in season long, but it's just like, it's been forever. Like you can just count on some of these backup running backs are going to be awesome during the year. And you can draft them, especially now during the big board season. It's like, you can get all of these guys so late. So I, zero rb during the big board i've just been doing it constantly and taking a ton of shuba hubbard zamir white ty chandler like just think that range of like some of these guys are going to hit and like you don't need all of them to hit you have 20 draft picks you can literally draft eight backup running like maybe backup maybe starter running backs and and some of them are going to hit so yeah i'm i'm a big fan of zero rb particularly when we have the 20 rounds and a lot of uncertainty it gets a little bit tougher later in the year but even later in the year it's just like well you just need one, th- you need one injury or one, like coach decides that the backup running back is the starter now to suddenly have the nuts with, with the, with the late round running back.
1: A hundred percent. It's like, I, I think I would still like, I don't know that I would play best ball. If in DFS, we had this thing where <clears throat> I went into every slate and it was like a God came down, the fantasy gods came down and said, here's a selection of 25 or 30 3k guys, three to 4k guys. And I can guarantee five of them are going to explode on this slate and you're going to want them in your lineup. And I said, you just, you just narrowed down the only thing I like, like that's, that's all like, so I just need to get overweight on 30 players. And like, I'm like, it's a lock that I make money. Like, You've just that—that's the easiest game of all time, and we have that. In in we have two things. We have the basically backup running backs or like ambiguous backfield situations like Mostert, right? I would include like a Raheem Mostert in there, where it's like, I mean, we know the Do- one of the Dolphins' running backs is going to be good. I may not know which one, but there's only three, so like, okay, we got that narrowed down to three, right? Thirty-three percent chance we pick right, and then there's all these backups. Plus, like the rookies, like I can guarantee that one out of these 40 guys, you know, one uh, more like 10 out of these 40 guys are going to be really, you want them on your teams. It's so like we've narrowed down the pool to these two cohorts where I'm like, I know there's like, that's like where all the winners are. Yep. But then you also said, but your opponents are going to, are not going to get overweight, those guys, right? I can tell you that your opponents are going to draft these guys, you know, 8% of the time. I'm like, so I can just draft them like 15 and like guarantee I got my money in good from this one like I don't have to do shit else right like that that sounds amazing you know and that's where we are with best ball and again i it it's hard to wrap your head around when you try to explain to buddy zero RB rookies blah 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 because they'll just be like well, what about this or my favorite question aren't you worried about this I'm like yes the an- if you, if you if you've ever asked me aren't you worried the answer is yes every single time I'm worried about all of it. I'm worried. I was worried about game makers. I'm worried that Kyron Williams runs a slower 40 than you and I do. I'm worried about all of that shit. But like, here's X, Y, Z, why I don't care. And I'm just going to draft these guys because of what I just outlined. And it's like, it's the beauty of this game and where we're at with this game right now is that we know certain edges exist. And the field is just like, no, nope, not, not interested, not interested yeah. at all.
0: And, and even people who've been playing for many years now, like you still see people on Twitter pushing back on the zero RB idea who are like veterans in the best ball space. And I'm like, how can you like, we we've seen it win so much now. I think it won regular. And, and last year, like Christian McCaffrey was awesome. Like every week didn't get hurt, like played the entire season was the guy. And I don't think he was in the winning lineup. Nope. Maybe. I'm yeah. So, so it wins even when like the, the top running backs, are awesome and i don't know if there are other running backs who were awesome early round i think most of them didn't hit but that also is not uncommon for running backs right. because running backs get hurt all the time so it was kind of it was almost an outlier to have chris mccaffrey playing all every game with the usage that he was getting as well it's like i i gotta say you brought up the dolphins i i was playing that completely wrong i got that i got so lucky that they came out in august and said that jeff wilson was hurt like it was like out of nowhere like oh yeah jeff wilson yeah i'm not sure he i think he's gonna play this year michael daniel came out and said i think he's gonna and i was like what like he was the one that i was saying because i was like he's the only one you can get for cheapest cheap. too I yeah think, i was yeah. like yeah he, he was the cheapest and and so i was drafting a ton of him in my mind, up until that point, it was like, you know, everybody's saying Devin HN is going to get like five touches a game. So I'm not going to draft that guy in the 10th round. And then Raheem Mostert, he's 31 injury history. I was like, I'm not drafting that guy. So I was completely out until they, they came out until Jeff Wilson was hurt. And I ended up overweight to both Devin HN and Raheem Mostert. But that was honestly kind of luck on, on my part. Um Yeah, I I, I did. I wasn't sure that one of the three was going to hit. I was like, they're just going to play all three of these guys, which was probably, honestly, an error. I think I lucked out that that we ended up with just two of them.
1: Yeah, and I mean, sometimes that is when you get when you when you kind of identify advantageous situations like the Dolphins' backfield, even when you don't do it perfect because it's kind of like what I said before, when you identify the right cohorts of players, right? The right types of late round running backs. Okay. You drafted more Rico Dowdle than Kyron Williams. That stinks, but it leads, it ends up leading you to, right? It sucks because you only get to live that slate once again, like again, in DFS is like, well, you know, oh crap. I had the wrong $3,500 shooting guard on to tomorrow. Let's try again but you were on the right path to identify, you know, that subset of players from within the player pool that night just didn't hit for you in that way. It's painful. It's more painful in best ball because not only do you only, you got to wait a year to do it. You got to look at all your goddamn teams. And every time Kyron scores a touchdown and Rico Dowdle gets two carries, you're like this, this, this sucks. Like this really, that was me with Rashad Penny. I'm just watching Deandre Swift be awesome. You know, all year round with, with 40% Rashad Penny, like a total dope you know like just it's absolutely painful right jk dobbins just a, a huge stand on jk dobbins goes down in in week one it, it it really really sucks but we have to be able to set. and i also think that's you know kind of one of the the final lessons from dfs it's like you have to be able to lo- to know that you're going to lose a lot like there's it doesn't feel like it because it, i guess we just haven't translated it to this game of best ball big rake really top heavy prize structures. Like it's, you're probably going to lose money. Even if you're good, you're probably going to lose money. And like, we have to wrap our heads around that. And I think that probably a good kind of starting closing point is like going in with that mindset from DFS is like, dude, I'm willing to lose 30 slates in a row. Like I'm willing to get old, (laughs) I'm willing to get old, uh, playing best ball before that, life-changing money hits and it may never hit, but I'm willing to keep playing exploitatively, as you said, um, because I know the variance in this game is high and I've identified the edges that are edges. If the variance plays out in my favor, great. If it doesn't, that's okay. We move on to next year or we move on to the next sport, right? Let's play NBA. Let's play MLB or whatever. We do that in DFS. All the best players do that in DFS. They go on long losing streaks, the best in the world. Even the guys, you see the screenshots. I mean, you've seen Neil screenshots. Neil has lost, plenty yeah. of times for yes. long extended stretches. So of the best players on the planet lose for months in a row and it's normal, but in best ball, we have this thing because it's annual. It's, it's really hard for us to, to wrap our heads around that and being able to do it. I really do think is a bit, is a big edge.
0: I mean, per- particularly in these terms, I think that's a really, really great final point that I think like, especially if you are playing exclusively in these really large tournaments like like the big board like best ball mania like I'm definitely down lifetime in best ball and I've made the final I had two teams in the final last year and that like that is I'm beating the odds in terms of getting teams to the best ball finals by by a good amount and still losing money but I'm like I'm pretty satisfied with how I'm doing. And like, and then I think like you, you, what'd you get like 15th this year or something in best ball mania? Like, which 12th, yeah, 12th and and you you were absurd 20 was was your second top 20, which, which I think that goes to show you how much there is skill involved, like that we keep seeing people that I know to be sharp, continue to do well in best ball, like way more than they should like relative to the number of people in the field to me shows me like there is a lot to be learned from. DFS and from really thinking about this game. like it is not just there is a lot of variance It's not all luck though. Like skill can get you pretty far in best ball Um, You just have to you have to accept that you are we're all gonna lose more often than we win
1: I I totally agree Uh, a great final point And I think if anyone's coming from DFS or even if you haven't come from DFS I I, I think it would be a good to, to like learn uh, a little bit about dfs like i mean shoot the nfl best ball season doesn't start for quite a while you got plenty of time and especially like with baseball coming up you want to learn some game theory uh elements base baseball you better learn the game theory elements with uh, uh baseball you talk about high variance best yeah. ball and 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 dfs baseball are about as about as big as it comes golf right G- golf is a fairly um uh, similar game from a game theory uh angle and also with there's correlations in best ball but minimal uh and same thing with with golf there's very very minimal you know uh tee off times weather all that kind of stuff is like very very minimal but that's kind of what like week 17 is there's tiny little things that we can do skill set right stacking in golf whatever but learning and playing some of those games even casually uh i think i really do think like every time i talk to somebody i'm like if I'm giving you examples from DFS and like you understand it, I think you're far ahead of, of so many people. Even if you're not the world, you don't have to be a great DFS player, but the lessons that you can take away from there are just, um, absolutely massive, Uh, So before we get out of here, I know you have uh, recently started uh, streaming uh, best ball drafts and best ball conversations on your YouTube channel. Tell the people where they where they can find you. I will also add that uh, I should have said this at the top. I'm terrible at this. I always forget these uh, uh, plugs. If um, you want to test out some spike week tools, some best ball draft tools, or any product, including our, our almanac. I'll put the link in the description here, use promo code. And I'll put the promo code in there as well. Use promo code flannel as a a fitting fitting that Neil is rocking the old flannel promo code flannel. Beautiful. What an awesome promo code, by the way. You'll get 40% off anything that we offer. So we have an almanac out there that'll cover you for all of 2024 NFL best ball strategy rankings and everything. And of course, our monthly and annual subscription options for our tools being largely our our draft hacker tool, which is, uh, in my opinion, just like game changing to help you while you're physically in your drafts and our draft IQ tool, which can help you do a lot of the portfolio and exposure things and analyze that and analyze your play. Like we talked about here today, you get 40% off with promo code flannel, but, uh, enough of me, uh, uh, doing the housekeeping The people need to know, like what, when's Neil doing drafts? You, what's the, what's the YouTube, uh, 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 account and Twitter and all that fun stuff.
0: I lost you momentarily, but I don't know if it was on my end or your end. And I'm, I'm we'll back find now. Out. Um, <laughs> I, I was just, uh, we, we celebrated my wife's birth- birthday over this weekend and a friend of mine asked me okay, where, where can I find your YouTube? And I'm like, I don't know how to direct somebody to my, I think it's at NC orfield 8k, I believe is the handle. You can probably search my name and find me on YouTube, uh, but you can also find me on Twitter at player I have it uh, linked in there so you can find it via my Twitter. I, I need to get better clearly at telling people how to find my best ball, uh, my YouTube page. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at player
1: And I highly, I highly recommend it. I try to consume uh, about as much as uh, stuff as Neil puts out there. Also a little biased, obviously, because we came from like the same DFS show. We both put up with Blender for months and months and hours and hours. And I feel like you got to be a strong person to (laughs) to, uh, talk to, to talk to Blender for a long time. So you're in good hands. Like I said, I'll put the the link to Neil's uh, channel and everything in the description. Go subscribe over there. More good best. Everybody needs more good, good best ball content and like i said if you're coming from the dfs space i think you'll you'll really enjoy what neil is doing there we'll definitely be making sure uh to bring neil back uh and i'll hop on some stuff with him he'll hop on some stuff with us you'll be seeing more of of the both of us but really wanted to have this fun conversation around dfs because i've been wanting to have it with somebody and i couldn't think of a better person to have it than with neil but uh for both of us until next time we will see you guys later have a good one peace
0: those were some spicy takes want to stay up to date with all of the other spicy takes we're gonna have over here at spike week why don't you press that subscribe button below you turn notifications on we draft a team boom you know about it we have another spicy take boom you know about it you can be there you can draft with us you want to stay up to date that's how you do it all right we'll catch you later next time here at spike week